As we look at this topic of uh, celebration today, um, did anybody get a celebrations advent calendar? Uh, I don't know if this was a, a joy or not, but apparently there was online outrage with chocolate fans because behind day one was the bounty, <laughs> the coconut bounty, which apparently is not everyone's favorite. However, people stuck it out. Day two was the Snickers, the peanut one, apparently the two least favorite ones in the pot. And uh, so there was absolute outrage about this. And then things got even worse. Can you imagine just what were they thinking opening with these two? It was then revealed online that both of them would make another three appearances before Christmas. <laughs> Twelve of them. And only two Twixies and two Galaxies. Uh, unbelievable. So for some, Christmas was cancelled early um, as a result of that. And if you're one of those, then the prayer team will be at the back later on. <laughs> But as we turn to true celebration this morning, what it really is, we're focusing on this passage in Philippians 4 that talks about joy, it points about finding our joy and about rejoicing uh, in life. Richard Foster said this, celebration is at the heart of the way of Christ. Celebration is at the heart of the way of Christ. And because Jesus enters the world uh, with great jubilation, we get the angels proclaiming, you know, I bring you good news of great joy that shall come to all the people. And Jesus leaves and he, and he kind of leaves, he bequeaths, if you like, his joy to his followers. And he says, so that uh, you may know my joy, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Celebration, jubilation, um, and joy. And then Jesus begins his, his ministry, his public ministry, by announcing the year of jubilee. It has arrived in Luke 4. And uh, that the word jubilee is the same kind of root as jubilation. And uh, both uh, can, comes with this, the profound social implications that came with uh, the year of jubilee. Um, with uh, an unbelievable way in which the people were set free and debts were cancelled um, and many, many things like that. And we're to be people that live in the spirit of jubilee in our own lives, that we're free from possessions, we're free from um, all the things that, that hold us in life so that we can transform the society in which we live in and we live in that spirit. And it's a freedom and a transformation that can only call upon a celebration. It brings about that celebration because, as Jesus says, the poor uh, receive the good news. The blind see, the captives are released, um, the oppressed are liberated. And therefore, we have something that we absolutely want to celebrate. So in the Old Testament, uh, the year of Jubilee, as I said, uh, it was uh, every 50 years or so, uh, after the 49th year, debts were cancelled. Uh, property was returned to the rightful owner. Slaves were released. And they didn't plant any crops, but uh, they celebrated God's gracious provision uh, into their lives. And so God, who can be trusted, would provide for their needs. And he would command a blessing uh, upon all the people. And so trust and freedom from anxiety forms the basis of our celebration. Joy comes when we find our freedom from what we worry about and what we're anxious about um, in life because we understand that God cares for us and therefore we can cast our cares uh, onto him and he turns our mourning into dancing, turns our ashes into praise. And yet so often we find ourselves kind of missing out on what that is about. So Philippians 4, Paul takes us into this great passage and he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say 
rejoice. And out of the 104 verses that are in Philippians, 16 of them have this words, the, the, the original words for joy, for rejoicing. It is an absolute joy-filled letter. Despite it being written by Paul, who's in prison, he is in a dingy dungeon, chained to some Roman soldier, and yet he manages to discover this secret of rejoicing and finding joy uh, in God uh, through it all. So how does he manage that? Well, here's a, an interesting little word study, because uh, the word for rejoice, you can't quite see it there. Can you see it on that one? See it on this one. Uh, kairiti, um, it means, or it comes from a, a kind of a root word, which means to be favorably disposed towards, or to lean towards, lean into, uh, hence this character kind of here. And um, we have the choice of whether we lean into our problems, we lean into our pain, or whether we lean towards our circumstances. But if we do that, then that's when we just get into an anxious thinking. We get into anxiety and we lose our joy very often. Paul doesn't lean into all of that, the chains, the imprisonment um, that comes with it, but he finds another way through. And the other th aspect of this is also related to the word charis, which is the word for grace in the Bible. And so we are not to favorably dispose to ourselves or lean towards our circumstances, but we are to lean towards God's grace. And so to rejoice literally means that. It means to lean into or to um, experience God's grace, his undeserved favor, but to be conscious of it and to be appreciative of it, to be glad of it so that we understand that it is real. So we don't rejoice in our circumstances, as it were, but we rejoice in the Lord and in God's grace. We lean into something, and as we do, we move in that direction. And so very often we have that choice. Do we move into this direction, or do we move towards God, uh, where that is? So the Christian faith doesn't deny the pain of life and the reality of suffering in life and the struggle that it is, but it doesn't wallow in it. You know, we all grieve, and yet Paul says in Thessalonians, and yet we don't grieve as those with no hope because we have hope. We lean towards God. We lean towards his strength, and we lean into him despite our circumstances. And so we read here, rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And uh, the word for anxious uh, means parts. It means to, to pull apart, to be pulled in all directions. And probably every single one of us knows what that feels like. Uh, every single one of us is aware of it. It affects our thinking. Um, it affects our sleeping. It affects our digestion at times. Apparently, it even affects your coordination. Um, worry becomes the greatest thief of joy in our lives. And Paul says that one of the keys to rejoicing is to have no anxiety. Do not be anxious about anything. And then positively, he says, bring your requests to God in prayer. And the result of it is a peace that is beyond understanding. That's where we begin to find uh, our joy. And we know Jesus taught this. He said, do not be anxious about anything in life. You know, look at the birds of the, the air, look at the flowers of the field. You know, don't worry about what you eat. Don't worry about what you will drink. Don't worry about what you will wear because God will look after you in all of these things. We're to swap our anxieties in life for trusting God. And Paul was in prison. He faced death 
and yet he found this joy despite it all. Now, what's interesting about the year of Jubilee is we all think it's a great idea. It's great if you're on the receiving end. It's a little bit more challenging when you, it's you're the one that's owed and you've got to cancel the debt. It's a little bit more challenging when you've got to return the piece of property to someone that actually you've become to depend upon. Um, it becomes slightly more challenging when it's, it's your servants that you've got to set free who have been looking after you all of these time. You're no longer producing crops, you're not planting that year, so you've got to trust God to provide for you. So it sounds great, but it does take a lot of trust in our own lives to do that. And when we trust God, he says, you can now depend fully on me to provide for you. And therefore, we come to him by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving. We let our requests be known to him. And so the first way that we turn our kind of anxieties uh, into, into a place of, of joy and contentment is by right praying. And so we pray. In the general sense, he says, pray. And that's about adoration. It's about putting God first in our life. It's about worship um, as we come before God. It's about petition. You're humbly bringing our requests before God and showing our desire and our need for him, asking God for help, um, whatever it is in life. But also doing that with an earnestness, you know, pressing on and pushing in as we do. It says to come with thanksgiving, to share our appreciation and give thanks for all that, he, that we do have um, along the way and uh, simply to present our requests to God. So right praying is really important in this so that we can live in that spirit of anxiety-free celebration. Okay? As I say, it's so often it's that that squeezes the joy out of us as we have all the cares and concerns of our world around us. Cast our cares on him. You might think of Daniel in the Old Testament. He um, exemplified this brilliantly in Daniel chapter 6. There's this great edict, this decree is declared that nobody should pray uh, except directly to the king. And Daniel, the first thing he does is he goes and prays. He opens his window and he prays. And it says in chapter 6, verse 10, he prayed and gave thanks. Verse 11, he made his requests to God. There again, you see the prayer, you see the petition, you see the thanksgiving. And he experiences this incredible peace in the midst of the most difficult circumstance. It was Daniel then who's in the lion's den for the night. Can you think of anywhere worse to find peace and quiet but in a lion's den? Okay, but he goes in perfect peace, right? Has a good night's sleep. The king in the palace can't sleep a wink. Okay, verse 18. And so we see it work. It's trust and it's prayer that's important. But Paul goes on and he says we're to set our minds on things that have life that are true and are honorable and are right and are just and are pure and are lovely and are ad admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. And that is a discipline in our lives. Okay? And actually, this is partly where the discipline of celebration comes. It's, it changes. We've got to think about it sometimes. And there is a discipline to that. We're to give attention to these things in the world. And we're to think about whatever is true. So it's right praying but it's also right thinking. You know, this is the research um, that shows that 92% of what, what we worry about is a waste of time. Okay, complete waste of time. 40% of it never happens. 30% of it is about stuff that has already happened. You can't do anything about it. 12% needless health worries, apparently. 10% insignificant trivial issues. And then maybe the 8% that actually we should have some sort of concern about. And so we're to think about the good stuff. 
We have to think about the good stuff, the true stuff, the noble stuff, um, the lovely stuff of life and the world. We have to enjoy the beauty um, of life um, that we see in the world. And as Christians with the Bible, you know, we've got such great truth that we're to take hold of in our lives. Instead of believing all the lies that, that rattle around in our minds about, um, you know, about our value, about our worth, about our significance or insignificance, our security, these are the things that rob us of joy in life. These are the things that paralyze us from celebrating in life and rejoicing. And yet God has made creation for us to enjoy. And he says, go and enjoy the excellent things, the good things. Give attention to them when you see them. Be wowed by them. Be thankful for them and celebrate them um, as you do. Because that is part of the discipline of celebration. Uh, Musician Gareth uh, Gilkerson says this. He says, we are inclined to negativity and cynicism. It's not always easy or natural to pursue joy. We must wrestle for our blessing. We must fight for our joy. And so Paul says here, here are the keys to it. Right praying, right thinking, but also in verse 9, right living. Whatever you learn from me, writes Paul, put it into practice. Live it out. Um, Because without right living, we, we lose our peace and our joy in life. You know, when we go off and do the wrong thing in life, we lose what it's about. It says in Colossians 3 that um, the peace of Christ, let the peace of Christ rule or act as referee in your heart. So when we walk with him, we have God's peace with us. But when we walk away from him, then we lose that peace. And therefore we lose that joy because we start to walk into an anxious world again. And there's so much to be potentially anxious about um, around us. So right praying, right thinking, right living. And Paul says these are the things that give us victory over worry and anxiety because they grow our trust in God, they strengthen our joy, and so that we can lean into the grace of God and we can rejoice in the Lord always. But there's another aspect that I just want to look at, which is about the future aspect of celebration and of joy as well. And I was just reading Psalm 98 uh, in the week. I was studying it, thinking about it, reading around it. And I discovered that it's the psalm that uh, that great Isaac Watts hymn, A Joy to the World, uh, was inspired by. And most of us think of Joy to the World as that amazing Christmas carol that we all sung uh, probably here um, just uh, last month or just before that. But actually, the song is not really a description about the first coming of Jesus or the first advent. It's really a description of the second coming of Jesus his second advent, when he returns to put all things right. It's about, as someone said, the messianic kingdom, not about the manger. And uh, so Psalm 98 verse 4 says this, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. It goes on in verse 7, Let the sea resound and everything in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together with joy. And then verse 9, let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. Now, when Jesus comes to return, he comes to put all things right. He comes to make all things new. He comes to deliver his people. He comes to set creation free from the bondage of sin. And when the psalmist writes here about the sea and the rivers and the mountains, there's something really quite profound here. 
He's basically said, every time I hear the sea making its noise, I hear a prayer and a praise to God. He says, whenever I hear a river like a babbling brook making its noises down the, down the mountainside, I'm hearing applause towards God because the king is coming. And whenever I hear the mountains sing, you know, the wind whistling around the tops of the mountains, I hear creation praising him. It's a response of joy from creation. And every time you hear the sea, every time you hear a river, every time you hear that wind blowing, we can think, actually, this is as though creation itself is praising and looking forward to what will come. Because there will come a day when all things will be righted, when justice and equity will come to the earth. In Romans 8, Paul says this. He says, the creation waits in eager expectations for the sons of God to be revealed. And I love the... um, the J.B. Phillips version, it says, the whole of creation is on tiptoe to see this wonderful sight. Okay, you just can imagine the kids looking over the sweetie counter or something. The whole of creation is on tiptoe waiting for what God is about to do because he's coming back to put all things right. I want us to watch a video now. Um, it's uh, one guy's story, it's his journey, and it's his reflections on the art of celebration. It's about seven minutes long, so enjoy this. I remember a few years ago sitting watching the sunrise. It was a typical misty Irish morning and there was a magical stillness in the air. Something happened that day that I didn't see coming. You see, I've grown up in church. I've been surrounded by the fact that Jesus loves me since I was born. But that day, something new flooded my soul. My eyes were opened and I was totally overwhelmed by the reality of God that I was not alone, lost in life, that, that I was not condemned, but that I was free. And <laughs> I don't know what happened, but this uncontrollable urge took over me. I jumped to my feet and started sprinting through the fields like a wild man, <laughs> laughing and crying with pure joy. That was my first taste of the art of celebration. Since that day, I've learned that life has a way of draining that childlike wonder from us. Whether it's through our own failures or disappointments, whether it's suffering or betrayal, or even just familiarity, that's why we put up our defenses, isn't it? That's why we become numb. We pull back from life and become spectators because we're afraid of being hurt again. But the good news is, Jesus is always doing a new thing. He's not finished with us yet. We may doubt, we may feel like we are broken beyond repair, but he is the peace in our troubled sea. He is the healer of the brokenhearted. Recently, we made a theological breakthrough as a community, and it has changed everything about our approach. We realize that seriousness is not a fruit of the Spirit, but joy is.
You see, there is an irrepressible laughter in the heart of God, and the whole universe cannot contain it. He is the one who invented celebrations and feasting and holidays. He is the one who sings and dances over us. When he suffered the cross, he did it for the joy set before him. And that joy was knowing that you and I would be fully free, no longer captive to our sin. Yes, the whole human story is described in terms of a celebration, the marriage of Christ to his bride, the church. Our God is the ultimate artist of celebration, the inventor of the party, and the healer of the broken. Now happiness is not the same thing as joy. Happiness is an emotion, a superficial response to pleasant circumstances, but joy is deeper. It's a spiritual discipline. We as people are much more inclined towards negativity and cynicism. We don't find it easy or even natural to pursue joy, and that's why God in His Word actually commands us to celebrate. We must wrestle for our blessing. We must fight for our joy. How do we then remind ourselves as a wounded church family that we still have a reason to sing? How do we move from the edges and fringes of the party into the center? Well, the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And to do that, we have to once again open up our hearts to wonder and beauty. I'm not saying to be fake or put on a false smile, but rather to always find a reason to rejoice, even if we're in the darkest circumstances. We come with a gospel worth celebrating before a celebrating king. And we think our response as worshippers should be obvious. We need to get down to the serious business of joy because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And after all, heaven's going to be the greatest party of all time and we need to start practicing now. So don't get caught up in your guilt or failure. You are forgiven, you are free, and you're worth more to God than you could ever imagine. So come on. With a childlike heart, wide-eyed with wonder, let's rediscover the art of celebration. Mm -hmm.